How you guys doing tonight? Come on, church. How you guys doing tonight? Listen, I'm so excited to be preaching again. I am. I really am. I got so many things running through my head for this series. I just want you guys to be able to get every bit of it. And I know I joke around. I said, I don't know how long this series is going to be. It might be 50 weeks. It might be 52 weeks. It might be 56 weeks. Who knows? And guess what, guys? Who cares? Amen? Who cares? As long as we're coming and we're hearing something that's going to change us, radically change uh, the way we see God, radically change the way we see ourselves, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's going to be a good night. So we are in a series right now called Rethink. And I don't know about you guys, but anybody else getting anything out of the series? Amen. I should be careful how I raise my hands, right? Right now I got pit stains, sweat stains. It's hot. I'm going to keep my hands down. Some of y'all are like, Pastor, put it down. This is the thing about wearing tight shirts like this and being in a hot room like this is I'll get pit stains down to my love handles, right? It's not a good thing. Probably too much information for you, but that's okay, right? So we've been in a series called Rethink, and I'm going to do just a little bit of review. I think it's so important as we, as we get going. It's so important for us to grab a hold of. If you, haven't, uh, if you haven't been here for any of the messages, let me just encourage you, go online. You can go to uh, thejourneychurch.cc. The messages are there. Or you can go to any of your favorite podcast platforms, and you can download the Journey Church uh, podcast, and you can ch- catch the messages there. Um, we try to have those uploaded on Sundays for you guys, so right afterwards you can check them out. So we've in a series called Rethink, and the word rethink means this. It means to think again about something such as a policy or course of action, especially in order to make changes. And we talked about over the last couple of weeks how the word rethink is the same thing as the word repent. We are more familiar with the word repent in church, aren't we? I mean, we've heard that probably growing up. We've heard the word repent. We've heard people tell us, you know, if we want to get closer to God, we have to repent. And when that repenting happens, it's, it's, a, it's a laying down of yourself. It's a, it's a begging God to forgive you for all the things you've done wrong in your life. And maybe some of us grew up with that image of repent, right? But that's not what real, true uh, repentance is. Biblical repentance doesn't look like begging God for forgiveness. It's not asking God for something you already have. Biblical repentance is changing the way you think. You see the word repentance is the word metanoia. It means to change the way you think, okay? And so when we talk about rethinking something, we're really talking about repenting. To rethink is to repent, to change the way we think. Jesus preached a ministry, his entire ministry, was based on the idea of rethinking everything. It's the ministry of rethinking. And we saw uh, in the first couple of weeks, we saw uh, over, if you go, and you don't have to go there, I'm going to summarize it for you, but over in Exodus, we have a law that was given to the children of Israel from a guy named Moses. Do me a favor, church, let me know you're with me and say, Moses. Man, that's so good. And then laws came from Moses. And one of those laws specifically are outlined in Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25. And if you go there, you can see them on screen or you can jot them down. But it goes on to say, uh, but if any harm follows you, then you should give a life for a life. This is where we get the the scripture, an eye for an eye, a a tooth for a tooth, right? A a hand for a hand. You make me lose my hand, I cut your hand off, right? A a burn for a burn. I got burned by you. I'm going to put my stick in the fire and then I'm going to go burn you. That's how this is going to work. This was the law. Do me a favor. Say law. 
This was the law that was handed to the children of Israel through the hands of a guy named Moses. And for many, many years, Israel, uh, they revered these laws that came from Moses. Now, you know there were Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments came on stone tablets, right? There were 15. Moses dropped one. We ended up with 10, right? And so it's a joke. You haven't seen the movie? I'm just kidding. So there are Ten Commandments, and they're written on stone. And those commandments, the top four have to do with how we relate to God. The bottom six have to do with how we relate to people. Those are the more guidelines that Israel was to live their lives by. After the Ten Commandments came, Moses got law happy, y'all. And Moses came up with some 611 other laws that he asked Israel or expected Israel to live by. Even, even co-signing God to some of these laws right, that, that were there. And, and so in some of the laws, if you go and you study them out, they actually contradict each other, right? Even how you prepare the lamb for Passover. When you come out of Egypt, you're, you're, you're cooking it one way, but then a, a little while later, they tell you in the, in the law, this is how you cook the lamb, and it looks different than how they cooked it when they came out of Egypt, the exact opposite of how they were supposed to do it, but it was a law. And so he, so Moses writes this, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, cut my hand off, I burn you, you burn me, whatever. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and remember, Jesus has a rethinking ministry, amen? And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 34, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? But, but what, look at that first three words, but I tell four words, you. But I tell you not to, this is really, I can see the screen. I tell you, this is awesome, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other. That's awesome. If anyone wants to see, well, we won't go into it, but this is what he said essentially was. He said essentially, you heard it said, well, who do they hear that from? Come on, church, who do they hear that from? Moses. It was written in the Scripture. Moses said, this is a law. You pluck my eye out, I pluck your eye out. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, this. But I say, who has the, th- the authority, church? Who has the right way of looking at things? Come on, this is not hard. Sunday school answer. Who is it? Jesus. So Jesus shows up on the scene, and he says, I know you've been banging your head in these scriptures. You've studied them. You've memorized them. You know them like the back of your hand. You know these scriptures, but I tell you to do exactly the opposite. Right? See, in John chapter 1, verse 17, John chapter 1, verse 17, it said, for the law was given through who, church? For the law was given through Moses, but it says, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What laws? The law, you know, eye for an eye, but grace and truth came through Jesus The word grace there we saw is the word charis. It means goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. So grace came through who? Jesus. Loving kindness and goodwill and favor came through 
Jesus. There's a contra- there's a there's a um a, a contrast there. See, the law came through Moses. Was the law graceful? Come on, church. Was the law graceful? Does poking does poking your eye out? If you poke my eye out, does that sound graceful? Does that sound like favor and loving kindness? Does it? It sounds like it hurts. There's a contrast there. For the law was given through Moses, but grace comes through Jesus. And then it goes on and says, but truth. And we saw that this word truth, it means as to pertaining to God. As to pertaining to God. You, you see grace, loving kindness, and favor, and a knowledge as pertaining to God came through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses. But grace and truth as pertaining to God came through Jesus Christ. And we talked about this over the last couple weeks. I know, listen, if you haven't been here, go back and listen. And we talked about this. How many of you guys ever had glasses? None of y'all have glasses in here. Three of us have glasses in here. Four of us. How many of y'all wear glasses? You just ain't wearing them because you're vain. Anybody? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You got contacts. I got you. I got you. But here's the thing. You see, um, if I take my glasses off, come on, church, if I take my glasses off, everybody gets blurry. Everything is blurry, right? I can't read nothing, right? But if I put my glasses on, I can see all of your faces right now. Some of y'all need to smile. Amen? I can see clearly because I put a lens on that helps correct my vision. And you see, listen, church, the, the, the thing about this is, is, is if we spend all of our time digging around in Old Testament scriptures trying to figure out who God is, we're going to see it as blurry. We're not going to get it. But the Bible tells us that it's Christ who corrects our vision. It's Christ. Watch this. I'll show you. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 to 18, it says this. But their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. It says, because the veil is, is taken away in who? All right, okay, keep going. It says, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Keep going. Is that it? Nope. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Is there more? Oh, yeah. Now that the Lord, now, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, is what church? That's all right. Where the spirit of the Lord is, is liberty. Oh, there's more. But we all I'm like five steps ahead right now. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, as being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Did you get that? See, the veil, when when we go through the Old Testament and, and we try to understand God solely from an Old Testament perspective, we have a veil covering our, our eyes, covering our mind. We can't fully grasp or comprehend who God is solely by reading the Old Testament scriptures. It's not until we see Jesus, it's not until we turn to Jesus that we begin to see things clearly. Amen? We see things clearly. 
the prophets, they saw from a distorted view, and they only saw shadows. But you know, like I know, shadows can't tell you anything about the real person. You can't even trust a shadow. Because sometimes you see a shadow, and you look like a buck fifty, but you know about two fifty. I've been there. I've been there. Lusted over my own shadow. You can't trust a shadow. It's based on how you're standing. It's based on where the light's hitting it. How you move. And in the Old Testament, the prophets, they saw things, uh, they saw things as a shadow. Right? But it wasn't until Christ came that they saw the object. Isn't that interesting? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I've been teaching a lot. I, I like to preach a lot. I do. But I've been teaching a lot. And I've been having fun teaching a lot. And y'all have fun when I teach. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So good. You're favored. All right. You're highly favored. All right. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the who? Prophets, right, right, in various ways. It says, has in these last days spoken to us by his who? Son, who, has, uh, <clears throat> who he has appointed heir of all things through whom, he, uh, whom also he made the worlds. Now, verse 3, it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. I love that the New Living Translation says he is the radiance of God's glory, the, the very character of God. That's who Jesus is. Expre- expresses the, uh, and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the, po- by the word of his power. And when he had himself, by himself, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Y'all, I usually read New Living Translation, but there is some, there's some, uh, I love the way the New King James has some of these, but I'm out of practice, y'all. I haven't read New King James in a hot minute, so I'm stumbling. But, but check it. So Jesus equals the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation, the exact representation Did Moses look like God? No. Right? Did the prophets look like God? No, not like like Jesus. You see, Jesus looks like God, and he always has looked like God, and he always will look like God. You hear me, church? That's a bold statement because some of us, we know, we grew up in Sunday school. We grew up reading some of these Old Testament stories, and we're like, ah, I don't know what the Jesus you're talking about looks like the God or the God that looks like the Jesus, but I'm a little confused, and, and we're going to unpack some of this today. So Jesus always looks like God, always has, and always will. And by default, that should cause us to ask questions. Do you hear me, church? When you read Jesus and you see Jesus, it should cause you to ask questions, especially when he says things like this. When you've seen me, you've seen the who. And and me and the Father, we are one. And I am in him and he is in me. Right? And and the goal is to, to know the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, God, 
and the son you sent. So it should cause us to ask questions. And here's the thing. As we've been talking about this, we, we talked about this a little last week when we talked about uh, a church background, a little bit of church history. And we went through all the, 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 the Catholic church and the, the Eastern Orthodox split. And then we talked about the Protestant Reformation. If you weren't here last week, go back and check it out. But listen to me. In most Protestant churches, we have been, and most Protestant means most of the churches that we're all pretty familiar with, right? Uh, Non-Catholic churches. We've been taught to read uh, the Bible as a literal book from cover to cover. Now, what do I mean by that? We are taught, we are taught to read this thing as a, to flatten this out and read it in a flat way. In other words, we, we read it and, and we give the same authority and the same weights and the same value to every scripture from, from beginning to end. And we take it all as equal, all as the same. And so what happens is, is we read this and we're taught and we're told that this reveals God. This reveals the revelation of who God is, right? Um, the problem with that is, is this is not a book about, uh, about God revealing himself to man as much as it's a book about man gaining revelation of God. Do you understand? So in other words, what I mean by that is it's not every picture that you see in this Bible represents God accurately. It cannot be in Jesus be true. Are you tracking with me? I know it's hard for us to wrap around because we've been taught that that's the way it is. But either Jesus is true and everything Jesus said is true or it's not. Moses didn't have a clear view of who God is. Ezekiel, Isaiah, the prophets didn't have a clear view of who God is. They saw shadows that shifted. And they wrote and captured it the best way they could and the best way they can process it. Does it mean that everything they said about God isn't accurate? No, there's some beautiful pictures and portraits of Jesus Christ laid out in Scripture, messianic prophecies that are so mind-blowing, you can't even begin to wrap your head around the fact that they were written some 1,500 years before Christ ever came because it expresses it in such detail. Like Psalms 22, the messianic prophecy of the cross, you know, the well, I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, but you know when Jesus is on the cross and he says out loud, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we think and we use that and religion has t- so twisted that to make you think that God somehow turned his back on Jesus. Can I just tell you right now, there's, it's an impossibility for God to turn his back on Jesus. It's an impossibility because if God turned his back on Jesus, then the Trinity implodes. Hear me. It implodes. That God doesn't turn his back on Jesus. God doesn't turn his back on his son because that's not what love does. Love always hopes, always perseveres, never fails, always believes the best. And so we take that one scripture and we go, oh, uh, my God, my God, why forsake me? See, see Jesus, he was forsaken by God. No, he wasn't. Go back and read Psalms 22 and read it from start to finish. And you watch a beautiful, uh, a beautiful story unfold where Jesus steps into humanity's brokenness and he feels what it's like to be tortured and beaten, and he feels what it likes to, he feels what it's like to, to have a, a hopelessness in that moment, but it goes on to say he never loses hope, and as a matter of fact, he gives victory to God and the proclamation of the gospel going forth at the end of that, that chapter. So, so am I saying that everything that, that they said doesn't reveal God? No, I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying there's some amazing moments where God's character is revealed, but it's not even revealed to the fullness as what it, what it is in Christ. You, you track with me. There are some really ugly pictures of God that prophets have written that are impossible for it to be God and Jesus to be true. Right? So we flatten this out. The scripture, I'm going I'm to unpack some more of this. We, we flatten this reading out. We, we flatten this whole Bible out. We give equal weight to every single scripture. And so the God who commands genocide and the, the killing of kids and the, and, the, and the pillaging of villages and the keeping of virgins for yourself, the God who, quotes commands the Israelites to do that is the same God who turns around and says, um, you know, that, that he is love. For so I so love the world that I gave my only son. Love the world, but not the Canaanites. And when we flatten that scripture out and we give the same weight to each of those, we end up with a very distorted view of God, much like the prophets did. It requires us to read scriptures with a type of mental gymnastics. You hear me? You got to figure out a way to make it all work. And then sometimes we're just left up with this. We're, We're left with this. Well, his ways are higher than our ways. You heard that, right? People said that. His ways are higher than our ways. God is perfect, and if he commanded genocide in this one story, then, it, then he had a reason, and God's so holy, he's so perfect in love that he can operate in genocide and murder because he's perfect. But if you commit murder, that's bad. But God can commit murder because God's perfect. Y'all tracking with me? I know it's a lot. I'm dropping it. But we're going to go, so, so let's keep going. It requires us to read the scriptures with a type of mental gymnastics because there are so many scriptures in the Old Testament where God's anger and his wrath are on full display. And then you get to the New Testament and it's contradicted by the very words that came off the lips of Jesus. This type of interpretation is called biblicism. And it sees the Bible as God's revelation of himself to man. But rather, the Bible reveals man's revelation of God. It is Jesus who is God's revelation of himself to man. Okay? So I want to show you something. If you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 28 real quick, verse 58. We're going to read from verse 58 to 63. Y'all with me? I know you're thinking, I see it. I see it, you're thinking. But here's the thing, deep down in your heart, and I would dare say for some of us in the room, deep down in our hearts, this is answering a lot of questions that we've had for a very long time. Because we really, really do want to believe that God loves us. We really do want to believe that, but we struggle. When we have this mindset of of God, we, we end up seeing, again, we end up seeing that Jesus didn't come to save us from death and sin, but rather Jesus came to save us from God. See, see, the good God, the good cop, came into the world to save us from the bad cop. The bad cop really loves us, but the only way he can really fully express his love is if he sends the good cop into the world to kind of be a mediator. I hear you thinking. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 53 through 63. Right? Verses 58, sorry, through 63. 
All right, here we go. If you do not carefully observe the words of this law, who did the law came through? Come on, church. For the law came through Moses. If you don't, do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Keep going. Then the Lord, who does this? Who does it? Then the Lord. Some of you are like, I am not talking the rest of the night. So then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. And moreover, he will bring back uh, on you all the diseases of, Israel, uh, of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Keep going. Also, every, sick, every sickness, every sickness, and every plague, which is not written in the book of the law. The law came through who? Uh-huh. W- will the Lord bring upon you until you are what, church? Go back. Until you are what? So we're clear. Until you're destroyed. Keep going. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of the heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do do to you or to do you to do <laughs> you to do you good and multiply you. Y'all, I should have stuck with the NLT. All right. So the Lord will rejoice. Listen, the Lord who will who will the Lord will what? Rejoice over you to destroy you. And Okay, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to what? Nothing. And you shall be plucked off the lands which you go to possess. Is there more? Is that it? All right. So so for clarity, we're told Israel, let's just say Israel, because we can just say, we can get around this and say, well, that wasn't written to us, that was written to Israel. Okay, fine, it was written to Israel. So Israel was told, if they don't obey all the laws written in the book of the law, right, that who will destroy them? The Lord. And how will he destroy them? With plagues. And what, and what type of destroying will it be? A, a rejoicing destroying. Right? So we see Moses telling us, or the writer of Deuteronomy telling us, that God says, if you don't do every one of these laws, keep every one of the laws, then I'm going to bring all the plagues on you, even the ones that aren't even written in the book. I'm going to bring those on you. And then, if that were not enough, I'm going to make them prolonged. And then, if that's not enough, I'm going to destroy you. And I'm not just going to destroy you, but I'm going to rejoice as I destroy you. But then you fast forward. So everybody say, Moses. Say, law. I want you to draw that connection. Moses and law. Now we're going to keep moving. So then you go so many years forward to the prophet Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32. For I have, what church? No pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and what? Therefore, turn and live. Therefore, rethink. Therefore, repent. Therefore, change your mind about the way you're living your life and live. I don't rejoice. and I don't take pleasure. I don't get joy in the death of anyone. That's the prophet. How many of you guys think that, that Moses and Ezekiel are in a bit of a disagreement in regards to, to God? Right? See, Ezekiel, he goes, man, I I'm hearing, the, I'm hearing the Lord, and I don't, it's controversial, but I don't think, I feel like the Lord's saying, I don't rejoice in you being destroyed. I don't rejoice in that. And then you go forward, a couple more hundred years forward, go forward, go to John chapter 10, verse 10. And this is Jesus speaking. Who is Jesus? He is the exact representation. He is the very character of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. Then you have Jesus saying this in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief comes not except to steal, to what church? Kill and destroy. And he said, I have come that they may have what? Life and that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus shows up and he draws a line in the sand and says, I'm going to make this very, very clear to you. I have not come to steal, to kill, or destroy. How many of you guys think that Jesus and Moses are in a bit of a disagreement about God's character and nature? I have not come to steal, to kill, or destroy, but Jesus said, I have come to give you what? Life. Everything about Christ is to come to give you life. To give you life. So, God, he's always on the side of life. Because God is love, and that's what love does. It's patient and kind and not envious and not self-seeking. Love was put on full display. When Christ went to the cross, that was an expression of love. That was not divine child abuse. That was not God divinely abusing his child. That was a display of love. Because love's not self-seeking. Self-seeking would have said, enough of all of this. I'm calling down legions of angels. I'm wiping all of you out. But love doesn't do that because love doesn't take an eye. Love doesn't cut off a hand. Love doesn't burn to be burned. That's not what love does. You see, love doesn't hate your enemies, but the Bible tells us, the Scriptures tell us, Jesus' words tell us that love loves your enemies. That, That you don't curse those who persecute you, but you bless those who persecute you. And Jesus hangs on the cross of Calvary and speaks out across humanity, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Or a buddy of mine told me that's better translated, Father, they are forgiven for they know not what they do. You see, 
That's what love does. Love blesses its enemies. So Moses and the law, amen, okay? Ezekiel and the prophet, and then Jesus and God. Now, I want to show you something real quick, and we're going to be wrapping up here. I'm not keeping you all night. Y'all, I'm actually finishing on time. Come on, somebody. Go to Mark real quick. And for anybody who thinks, well, you don't take Scripture serious. Y'all see how many Scriptures I'm using to go through this, right, to help make this make sense? Mark chapter 9. Go over to Mark chapter 9. I know I'm, I'm, I'm in this zone. Mark chapter 9. Go to verse 1. Mark 9 verse 1. You know, Pastor Kim preached on this, like, oh, first, second, third week of the year. She preached on the mountain of transfiguration, right, where Jesus was on there. We're going to read this. I want to, I want to show you something that's pretty, pretty cool. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until, uh, until they see the kingdom of God present uh, with power. We'll talk about that verse another day, right? Verse 2, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before him, right, before them. It says in verse 3, his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, so that no launderer on earth can whiten them. That's what it said. And it says in verse 4, it says, And Elijah appeared appeared to them with who? Moses. And they were talking, oh, my page moved. And they were talking with Jesus. So who was talking with Jesus? Moses and who? Elijah. Watch. They were talking with Jesus. And then Peter, he answered and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. Y'all say three. Watch. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But he did not know what to say for, because he did not know what to say for they were greatly afraid. It says, and a cloud came over and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my, what church? Beloved son, hear him. And suddenly When they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only who? Jesus with themselves. I want you to hear me. You have the law represented on one side, and you have the prophets represented on the other side, and you have the radiance of God's glory standing right before them, and and, and, and they're talking. Right. I wish I could have known what the conversation was between Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who's representing the prophets and Jesus. I wish I knew. But we know that he's in his full radiance. Who is the radiance of God's glory? It's Jesus. Who he's in his full godness in this moment. And the and Peter goes, it's good. We're in a good spot. Let's build a temple for Moses and a temple for you and a temple for Elijah. Let's worship 
the law. Let's worship what the prophets have to say, and let's worship you. And God had to shut him down and say, be quiet. This is my beloved son, who is the exact representation of who, church? God. Listen to him. And it says, and when they opened their eyes, they saw nobody but who? Jesus. They saw no one else but Jesus. Because in the presence of Jesus, the law fades away. In the presence of Jesus, the prophets fade away. Because they only had shadows of what was standing right before them. So God says to them, I know you respect the law. I know you respect the prophets. But the one you need to listen to is the one standing right here. Go sit on that. Meditate on that for a while, man. If we don't learn how to see that God is way better than we think he is. If we don't see that in Christ, we're going to make it all, we're going to make all this God, right? We make all this God, and before long we have a monster God that Jesus came to save us from instead of a loving father he came to introduce us to. And when we try to build temples for all three views of God, Fear becomes the primary emotion of our faith and not love. And hear me. Fear should never be the primary emotion in your relationship to God. It should never be that way. Some of us say, well, I know, you know, there's that one scripture in Proverbs that says fear is the beginning of wisdom. But that scripture has to bow its knee to the revelation of God as revealed through Jesus Christ. And so Solomon, as wise as he was, and I don't know that he was all that wise only because he had like 700 concubines and 300 wives. I don't think that was a wise decision. Maybe it was a lapse of judgment. A thousand times. A lapse of judgment a thousand times. And he says, to be afraid of the Lord is the beginning of being smart. To be afraid of the Lord is the beginning of your wisdom. To be afraid of him, to fear him. Some say, well, that means really just to worship him. No, it should have been translated worship. It comes back to fear has no place in your relationship with God. And it's not because you don't have reverence for him. It's because fear doesn't have a place because you've recognized and you understand He's madly in love with you. Listen to me. We're going to wrap here. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 19. He who does not love does not know God. Man, just meditate on that for a minute. He who does not know or does not love does not know God. 
It doesn't say that you're not a child of God. It doesn't say that God didn't uh, give up his life for you. God didn't forgive, his, forgive you of all your sins. It doesn't say anything. That It just says you just don't understand the heart of God. You don't really know God if you are not operating in love. Because when you understand that God is love, that's the next part, for God is love, then love is the thing that flows out of you. Keep going. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God is on the side of what church? Life. Keep going. And this is love. Not that we loved God. Lord knows that's the truth. You didn't come to God. No one, no one decided on their own behalf to say, hmm, let me go find God. I think he needs me. Like, none of us did that. None of us had the idea first to go seek out our creator and go, I think he needs me. Right? It didn't happen. It says, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. We're going to unpack that word propitiation because that's a bad translation of the word. It doesn't mean what you think it means. But we'll go through. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to... Love one another. Keep going. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, then God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him and he abide. How do I know that you and God are walking in step with each other? How do I know that? Because you love how do I know that? See, see, we want to say like we 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 have this idea that 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 somehow we need to have like this perfect gospel road, this 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 uh, uh, the Romans road to salvation. We got to make sure we have all these scriptures laid out so we can convince somebody that they need God. But the Bible tells us that when we walk in step with God, love is our primary default. And the and scripture also Jesus goes on and says, "The world will know you, that my disciples, by how you what church." Love one another. You don't need 50 scriptures in the clothes to, to introduce somebody to God. All you have to do is love them. Love them. Come on, somebody. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Keep going. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as a Savior of the who? Come on, as a savior of the few, as the savior of the good ones, the church folk, the ones that got it all together, the white people, the black people, the brown people, the straight people, the gay people, the transgender people, the what church? Keep going. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, that God abides in him and he is in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. For God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. They're they're being a little repetitive, isn't he? Keep it going. Oh, for me. All right, I needed it. 1 John 4, 17 says, love, listen, 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 listen. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we listen. 
Listen. Whoops. Listen. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Pause it right there. Hold it right. Go back. Hold it right there. You need to sit on that. Love has been perfected in us in this. How do we know that the love of God has been perfected in us? Because we know that when the day comes and we stand before him, we have nothing to fear because as he is, so are we right now. Next verse. Almost done. And here it is. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out what? Fear. Because fear involves what? I want you, yes, I want you to hear punishment, torment, because fear involves torment. But it's impossible to fear when you are perfectly loved. And it's impossible to be in fear when you know you are perfectly perfectly loved. Because fear has to do with torments. But he who, has, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It doesn't say he who fears has not been loved perfectly It says he who fears has not been made perfect love, has not sat down and meditated on it and sat down and grabbed a hold of it and sat down and just made it theirs, sat down and looked at them and looked at themselves in the mirror and said, you know what? I don't really love you very much, but the creator of heaven loves you very much. And if he can love you, I can start loving you. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. Is that the last one? We got one more verse. One more verse. Go ahead. And we love him because he first loved us. When Jesus becomes the lens, Nate, you can come up, man. (laughs) I forgot. Nate was supposed to come up. When Jesus becomes the lens, that we read scripture with, that we look at life through. Everything changes. Everything changes. Fear goes, listen to me. If you think for one moment that God is out to wreck your life because you did X, Y, and Z, X amount of years ago, or you did X, Y, and Z last night, and you think God is out to wreck your life, you have not been made perfect in love. If you think that somehow you're going to end up being tormented by God for a momentary decision that you made and a moment of bad judgment, you have not been made perfect in love. Because fear has to do with what church? Torment and punishment. You are loved more than you know. I will, listen, if I'm going to err in anything, if I'm going to err on anything, it is going to be telling people that God loves them radically, that God is for them, 
Because I'm going to tell you right now, I do not think that I'm going to get to heaven, look at God and go, wow, I really overestimated your goodness. It's not going to happen. You preach too much grace, pastor. You preach all that grace, people are going to want to sin. That's not how it worked with Jesus. Grace empowered them to live free from sin. Lord, I'm preaching another week's message. I'm going to hold it right there. At the end of every message I told you guys, we're going to come back to this, that Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. You hear me? Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. God has always looked like Jesus. God will always look like Jesus. That is the way it is. Jesus looks like God. They're inseparable. Do me a favor. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? And I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, and I thank you that even the words that came out tonight, God, I know for those who are in the room right now, Father, for those who have tuned in online on Facebook or YouTube or later on the website or the podcast, I know that some of the things that they're hearing right now is creating some cognitive dissonance in their, in their lives. They're, they're going, man, that goes against everything I was ever taught about God, and, I, and I'm, it's stretching me. And Father, I thank you for the stretch. I thank you for the stretch, God. I thank you for the discomfort. Because at the end of this thing, if I experience discomfort, but I come out knowing that you were so much better than I could have ever imagined, it's worth it. It's worth it to me. It's worth it to my family. It's worth it to my wife, my husband, to my, my kids. It's worth it to the workers that I, the co-workers I, I do life with. It's worth it to every person I come in contact. If I truly believe and know you are way better than I think you are even in this moment right now, God, it's only going to lead to life. Father, I thank you that we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Jesus, I thank you that you're speaking to our hearts even right now. That you are that good. Pray for every person right now. Lord, that they would just encounter, they would experience your love in a tangible way right now. Father, we thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Do me a favor. Would you stand up on your feet? Let's close out with a short worship.